Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Good morning, everybody. Let's come to our feet. Give God some praise. If you're watching at home, we want you to come to your feet, too. Give God some praise. Welcome to South Valley. Let's lift it up. Your voice can make the darkness turn to light. Your word can bring the hopeless heart to life. You speak and mountains tremble. The earth and sun stand still. No one can comprehend your endless light. Am I that you would find me here? Come on! The maker of the heavens knows my name The author of the oceans gave me grace My soul, my soul will ever sing your praise Oh my Let me hear you, come on. And with your arms wide open, you gave your life to save. The hands of all creation were pierced for me that day. Come on. The maker of the heavens knows my name. The author of the oceans gave me grace and my soul.
Hey, I don't know about you, but I think this is pretty awesome that we're being able to come together and give God some praise, yeah? So I don't want you to miss that. I mean, we should be joyful. We should be excited to be able to have this opportunity and just give God praise. So we're going to sing this song up. And again, just a reminder of what we should be building our life on, just the love of Christ. Amen. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Come on. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Tell the Lord. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you, amen. So Jesus, Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you. Let me hear you, church. Sing, holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are in your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. Amen. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say.
Come on. Come on. Put my trust. thought we'd change it up this morning and, and kind of go to that place where it's intimate, and then we're going to introduce a new song to you, so it's okay to get excited and, and be loud on the end of worship, you know, you, so you can join in. You hopefully know this song, but, but the words of it are just so powerful, and it's a reminder that God's grace is just so amazing and abounding that I don't think we can even really comprehend what it is. We talk about it. We say it's amazing. But these words here just paint a picture of, of God's love for us, that he would sacrifice his son on a cross, that the grace redeems us. And it's just so refreshing when you think about how much that grace does in our lives. So we're going to share this song with you, and uh, we want you to be loud and sing along with us, all right? Sweet, sweet honey on my lips 
Father, Lord, we come before you and we exalt you. You are a God of grace, a God abounding in love. What a privilege it is to be together, to praise your name. And I pray that this morning would be a day where we are reminded of how amazing you are and how much you love us, Lord, that you would work in our hearts this morning. Let us take you in as we receive your word, as we fellowship together, Lord. Let this be a moment of joy, a moment of restoration, Lord. Let us put our hope in you and look our eyes at you, knowing that you have plans for each and every one of us, Lord. And if there is even one here who's just hurting, maybe they're going through a difficult time, maybe they don't realize how much you love them, Lord. Maybe there's someone at home right now just struggling. Maybe somebody's watching for the first time online. I pray for every heart that they would realize how much you love them, that they would take a step of faith towards you, whatever that is, recommitting their life, taking a step and trusting you, taking a step and saying, I don't know you, Jesus, but I want to know you as my Lord and Savior. Lord, let today be a day of change. Let today be a day of hope and a day that, again, gives you all the praise for the great God that you are. In your name, we pray these things. Amen. Hey, good morning, South Valley. Hey, my name is Thomas Curtis, and I'm going to speak a few words just on behalf of our 
pastoral search team. Um, repeat this after me, if, or if you guys have heard this saying before, God is good all the time, and yeah, and we, we, we truly believe that. And through everything that we've gone through, you guys commissioned this search team a number of months ago. And in this, you tasked us to, to bring a new pastor. And our, through that process, we were to pray, to seek God's will over our own, um, to evaluate, seek wise counsel, and let God work. Let God work on his own timing, right? One thing, if you're like me, I, I, I think we try to figure out God's timing or God's will, and, and we, re we really don't. All we can do is check our own hearts and stay faithful and, and, and let God work. And I can tell you this, God has been good through this whole process. God has been at work through this whole process, um, especially everything we've gone through recently. God has been working on hearts, and he's been working on closing doors and opening other doors, right? So the search team, I mean, we're excited. We want to announce that we're, we are well along in the search process right now and uh, seeking another pastor. Um, and we, we are really excited. We are, we are well along in that process. So we're going to give you guys more updates as they come. But what I wanted to let you guys know is just thank you so much. for. We know this process hasn't been easy on anybody. So thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you guys for, for being here. Thank you for your trust. Thank you guys for helping keep the, the process pure. Thank you guys for your time. Um, we're excited, and we're looking forward to the next upcoming announcements uh, when we have more information. But until then, South Valley, we love you guys. Please keep this process in prayer, and we'll see you soon. Thank you. SVCC, happy to have you guys here this morning. Whether you're in person or online, we are especially blessed by the opportunity that we have to worship alongside you and to see what the Lord has in store for you in your life. Now, if you're here with us for the first time, we want to especially welcome you and we want to invite you to fill out an online connect card. Fill that out and that gives us a chance as a staff to really just reach out to you, get to know you, answer your questions, pray with you. And we would absolutely love that, y'all. So please go ahead and check that out and we'll get into contact with you. Now, y'all heard it right from me. We are in person starting today, the 21st of February, indoors. And we are extremely excited to offer two services each Sunday, 9 and 1030, with full-on children's ministry available during the 9 a.m. service only. Now, we're continuing to also make sure to exercise those COVID protocols as a measure of safety and to be a good neighbor to our community. Now, maybe you're not feeling quite ready to gather in person, or maybe you're experiencing symptoms yourself. We wanna encourage you and let you know that we are still live streaming our services on Sunday mornings on YouTube and on Facebook. We'll have online hosts who are ready to hang out with you, encourage you and support you. And regardless how y'all slice it, if you in person at SVCC, we're gonna love on you. And if you're online, we're gonna love on y'all too. So we're excited to be able to have both of those opportunities and we hope that you will engage with us week to week as we seek to pursue Jesus and to see what he has for us as a church family to go out and to share his gospel with the world. Now, another opportunity for growth that we have coming up is Rooted. And if you're unfamiliar with Rooted, it's a 10-week discipleship experience for people of any age or stage, regardless of where you are in Christ and your walk with Jesus. And we just want to let you know that we're putting together groups of about 10 to 15 people to get together, to talk about the Bible, to engage in experiences of service and of prayer, to share stories, and to really dig in to building those 
essential disciplines that are needed in order to grow and to have a healthy spiritual life. So if you're interested in taking on something like that, we would love to have you. We're gonna have signups. Check it out this upcoming week. It's gonna be coming up on social media and via email for you to sign up for either an in-person or a virtual rooted group. We're super excited for that opportunity and we hope that you'll hop onto it. So be on the lookout. Now, before we head to the rest of the service, we just want to remind you, if you're SBCC family, we're continuing in the discipline of giving to come alongside the work that the Lord is doing in terms of supporting ministries locally and all over the, the world. And so we're excited to be able to have the opportunity available week to week. We have online giving available through the Church Center app, through the church website that you're seeing here on your screen, or you uh, can give by dropping off your offering on the way out today as you leave the service or come to the church office. You can put it in the safe, secure uh, box that's right there at the front of the church office as well. You guys, thanks for hanging out with us today. We pray that this service blesses you, that it moves you closer to Jesus, that it excites you, and that it fulfills and reinvigorates you for what's to take place for you in your life this week. We love you, and we look forward to seeing you guys again soon. Take care. Bye now. Well, good morning, South Valley. Uh, even though I haven't been here, it's good to see you in person. And I'm glad that you could be inside today. My name is Tim Brown. I'm the executive minister of Growing Healthy Churches, a network of about 140 churches, mostly in Northern California, but in various parts of the nation and around the world as well. And our organization that you belong to and you're very important to has been uh, partnering with us and us with you in your search process. And I know that it's a difficult time for the church and for the next few weeks and maybe uh, on beyond, I'll be here with you some. And so I'm excited about that. I love coming here. In, in addition to being the executive minister of Growing Healthy Churches, I also pastor a church. Now, I live in Clovis. Do you all know where Clovis is? Okay, it's, it's close by. I pastor a church in Modesto. So I drive two hours one day a week to do training with our staff, and then I'm there most weekends to speak and be with the people there. Uh, it's a wonderful church. But they understood that my role as Growing Healthy Churches executive minister, executive director, means that that always takes priority. And they said, please, Tim, if South Valley needs your services, would you go and be with them? So on behalf of Growing Healthy Churches and the Well Community Fellowship in Modesto, howdy. Glad to be here today. Over the next couple of weeks, uh, I want to talk to you about the impact of knowing your why. Simon Sinek, who's an author and speaker, says this. He says, knowing what we do is important, but knowing what we do is more impactful when we understand why we do what we do. When we know why we are asking and clearly communicate that, suddenly the ask has more meaning. Knowing why, he says, fuels passion and desires. Knowing why, he says, helps us to define our values and our purpose. He says, People don't buy what you do, but they buy why you do it. Why we do what we do is extremely important and powerful. Now to sort of demonstrate this in a very effective way, I have a video that we're going to watch from a comedian by the name of Michael Jr. And he talks about this, 
He's a, he's a speaker, and uh, he writes blogs and does his own website. So just watch this three-minute video. It's pretty powerful. Let's watch this together. This is called, How Do I Know? And a lot of times when people hear the phrase, how do I know, the next thing they say is what? How do I know what? But the key really isn't to know what. The key is to know why. Because when you know your why, you have options on what your what can be. For instance, my why is to inspire people to walk in purpose. My what is stand-up comedy. My what is writing books. My what can be going out with some friends to eat. In fact, another what that has moved me towards my why is a, a web series that we have out now called Break Time. So every Wednesday at 3 o'clock, you should subscribe to the, to the channel. Uh, we do a series called Break Time on YouTube. So 3 o'clock, we drop a new episode. One episode in particular I'm about to show you a clip to, we were in, uh, we were in Winston-Salem. So break time, this is how it works. I travel the country, I do stand-up comedy, probably an hour, hour and a half at an event. And in the middle of my show, I'll just sit down and start talking to the audience. And funny just happens. Or I'll meet somebody who's really interesting. So I met this one guy, and he said that he teaches music at a school. I was like, all right, you teach music, you know, um, can you sing? And then uh, I'm just going to show you the clip. Check it. So you're a musical director. Cool. Yes, sir. All right, so um, let, me get a couple, let me get a couple bars of, like, uh, Amazing Grace. Can you do the first part of that? Let me, go ahead. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Wow. That brought could sing. You know what I'm saying? All right, all right. Um, now, once you give me the version, is if uh, your uncle just got out of jail, you got shot in the back when you was a kid. I'm just saying, let me see the hood version real quick. If you know which version I'm talking about, just see if that exists. Let me see what you got. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. So here's the thing. The first time I asked him to sing, he knew what he was doing. The second time I asked him to sing, he knew why he was doing it. When you know your why, your what has more impact because you're walking in or towards your purpose. I think it's very important that South Valley Church 
at this particular time in your history understands that church is not something that you just, it's a what that you do. I want to challenge you over the next couple of weeks to understand your why. Now when you think of the word church, what do you think of? Most people think of church as a place that you go to. In fact, if you ask somebody, do you go to church? Do you go to church? And some may respond no, and others will say yes, and we'll say, well, where do you go to church? So we typically define church as a place where you gather, but that is a huge misunderstanding of what the New Testament describes the church as. The word church is used 115 times in the New Testament. First used by Jesus in Matthew 16, 18. And he's talking to his disciples, he's giving them a quiz And he's wanting to know what people are saying about him. And he says, guys, I want you to tell me, what are people saying about me? Who do they say that I am? And the disciples respond, well, some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're Elijah. Some, maybe Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus pauses and he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter responds, you are the Messiah. The son of the living God. And Jesus says, Simon, that was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but from my Father who is above. And I tell you, you are Petros. So Jesus gives him a nickname. You're no longer Simon. You're Peter, which means the rock. And he says, upon this rock, it's twofold meaning, upon you, Peter, because he's going to be the the leader that unleashes the church. Upon this rock, Peter, you, and upon the rock, the message that you said, the why that you just talked about, we're going to launch a movement that's going to change the world. And he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Ekklesia is the Greek word used there. And he says, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will build my ecclesia. The New Testament Greek word literally means the called out ones. I will build my called out ones and the world will never be the same. You see, the, the word ecclesia means called out. So church is primarily not something that we come to, but something that we go from. Not something that we just gather around, but it's something that we take into our communities in the world. So the early church was this group of people with this message that Jesus was the hope of the world. That was their why. They believed to the core of their being that there was nothing that discipleship to Jesus could not resolve. That if you followed Jesus and accepted him as your savior, you made yourself an apprentice to him. An apprentice is somebody that you learn from and then you put the practice into your own life. If you apprentice yourself to Jesus, there is nothing, nothing in the whole world that cannot be resolved if you put your faith in Jesus and follow him. That was their why. You see, these people believed to the core of their being That Jesus was the hope of the world and it impacted what they did and what they didn't do. 
And these, true, these early believers, they truly believed this so much that it impacted everything that they did. That they believed to the core of their being that Jesus was the hope of the world and we have to be his apprentice and apply that to our life. And when we live that way, our worlds are going to be impacted and changed forever. He is the secret to life. In that day, there was a lot of confusion going on in that day and age in Jesus' time. Many people were confused about death. We'll talk about that here in just a second. But Jesus comes on the scene. He says, I don't want you to be confused about death. I've resolved that because anybody who believes in me will have everlasting life. I've resolved the death issue. Don't be afraid of it. People were concerned about relationships. Can you believe that there was ever a day and age where people couldn't get along? What do we do with these relationships? And Jesus says, I've resolved that. Love others. Do to others as you would have them do to you. He talked about forgiveness and restoration and reconciliation. In that day and age with the disciples, there was a lot of confusion over how can we have a personal relationship with God? We have to go through these priests. We have to do all these sacrificial things. How can we have a personal relationship with God like you, Jesus, because you call him Abba, Daddy? How can we have that relationship? Jesus says, I've resolved that. The way to the Heavenly Father is through me. Can you believe there was a day and age when people were worried and scared about what their day and future would hold? And Jesus said, I've resolved that. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my burden is light. You see, these people believed that Jesus was who he said he was, and they believed that it was going to impact all, all areas of their lives. That was their why. And when our belief impacts our actions, we know that we truly believe something. If our beliefs are not impacting our actions, then we're half-hearted or we don't really believe it at all. I hate snakes. Thank you. I've had people say, well, Tim, there's good snakes. And I grew up in West Virginia where there's rattlesnakes and copperheads. Any snake is a bad snake as far as I'm concerned. For you snake lovers... Come forward after church, we'll pray for you. I'm kidding. But if I, if I believed you and you told me I was standing next to a snake, it would impact my behavior at the moment. I'd probably run and scream like my little daughters when they were little. When we believe something, it changes what we do. And this early church, to the core of their being, the called out ones, believed that Jesus was the hope of the world and it changed how they acted. We're going to talk about that. It changed how they prayed. It impacted how they prayed. Let me ask you a question this morning. If you find yourself in a situation where it's a very difficult situation, maybe there's people attacking you, Maybe we wouldn't use the word persecuted, but you found yourself in a very difficult situation. You, 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 you were not safe. Um, you needed deliverance. Let me ask you a question. What would you pray for? Many of us would say, well, I'd pray that God would put a hedge of protection around me. I'd pray that God would deliver me from this situation or this person. Well, after Jesus ascended into heaven, the disciples began to be persecuted. And when they began to be persecuted in the past, you know what they did? They ran. But something happened after they encountered the why of Jesus being in their lives. 
You know, Peter, he even, when he was trying to be, when he was about to be persecuted when Jesus was alive, remember, he ran off. But not now in the book of Acts. After Jesus has ascended into heaven and the people are being persecuted, they face non-believing, abrasive, hostile to Jesus culture people. And you know what they prayed for? It's absolutely incredible. Acts 4, 29 through 31. Here's what they pray for. O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they preached the word of God with boldness. Do you understand? Did you catch what they didn't pray for? They didn't pray for deliverance. They didn't pray for a hedge of protection. They said, God, would you enable us to live in such a way in the midst of this hostile environment, would you allow us to live in such a way that people are drawn to Jesus? God, would you give us boldness? What would happen if this church would start praying that way? God, would you give us boldness? Boldness like we've never had before to impact Lemoore and the surrounding communities, the whole South Valley. God, would you give us boldness? Belief impacted how they prayed. Secondly, belief impacted how they related to each other. Now, can you believe that they were so sold out on their why, that Jesus was the hope of the world, that it began to spill out into their relationships with one, of other, one another who was already inside of this movement? Do any of you like uh, what our family do, does? My family, um, we, we, we like to jump around corners and scare each other and play practical jokes anymore. Anybody like that? I'm the only unholy one here. We, we do it frequently, and on one occasion I had, sometimes I just like a really cold glass of milk, and I wanted a really cold glass of milk one, one evening, and so I poured a glass to the brim, and I'm shutting the refrigerator door, and I turn around, and my wife Jen is there. She didn't purposefully do this. I didn't know she was there, but she said, hey, what are you doing? You know, I, I jump, and what happens? And I spill milk everywhere, all over me, all over the floor, all over her. You know, I was startled and what my glass was full of came out onto other things and onto another person and onto myself. The same is true of our lives. Whatever our lives are full of, when we get startled, when we get, uh, when we get pressured, when we get attacked by others, whatever our life is full of gets spilled out on other people. So my question is, what's your life full of? And in this early church, they were so full of the hope of Jesus that it spilled out onto how they treated one another. It spilled out onto their life. And people outside of the church would watch how these Christians, these called out ones, would treat each other. And they would say things like this, Man, I don't like their message, but the way that they love each other is pretty exciting. Because we've already seen in the religious world how people gather together and they claim to know the love of God, but yet they can't get along with one another. So people on the outside looked at the called out ones and said, this is amazing. 
They were unified and they acted unselfishly. Acts 4, 32-35. All the believers were united in heart and mind and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned lands or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. Do you know what was happening here? These called out ones were actually being an answer to Jesus' prayer. In John chapter 17, we have the longest recorded prayer of Jesus. And the vast majority of that prayer is for you and me. In that prayer, he prays, God, would you help them be united? Would you make them one as you and I are one? Why is that so important? Because one of Satan's major tactic is to get churches divided. Even Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Satan knows that he has no authority over a believer, so what does he get us to do? Fight amongst each other. But not this church, not these early called out ones. They valued their unity. They really believed that there was no problem that discipleship to Jesus could not resolve. And so they didn't want to do anything to diminish or demolish or damage that message. So I want to caution us, as I do my own church and churches that I speak to. Sometimes selfishness can creep into churches and it's not about sharing our why because of what Jesus said. It's about getting what I want and what I need. I think I've shared this here before, but I know that all of us here in this room are selfish. None of us have to go to a self-help seminar on how to be more selfish. How do you know you're selfish? Get in a group of people and take a picture. What determines if that picture is a good picture or a bad picture? How you look in it. Or how I look in it. And so there could be 30 people who look great, but I look awful. You know, I look fat in that picture. You know, I, you, know I'm not, you didn't take it from the right angle. And so, you know, it's not a good picture then. I just want to caution you. And this was so severe in the New Testament that the Apostle Paul warned Titus, one of the early pastors, in the book of Titus in the New Testament, chapter 3, verse 10. He says, you warn a divisive person once, you warn a divisive person a second time, And then you have nothing to do with them. Whoa. Their belief impacted these called out ones. How they prayed. How they related to insiders. This why was so captivating for them. It also impacted how they related to people on the outside of the church. Those who were not part of the movement. You see there was a time... In the early church, in that early called out one, there was a time when the church had the favor of the broader community and with people who didn't even understand or agree with their message. Oh, folks, I hope you grasp that. There was a time when the broader community was so impacted by them sharing their why that they would say, I don't agree with what you're saying. I don't know about this Jesus guy, but I tell you what, I like what I see in you. There was a time when people would say about the church, I don't necessarily agree with their message, but let me tell you, those people can be trusted. I don't agree with their message, but I want that individual and those individuals in my business. I want those individuals teaching my kids in the public schools. 
I want those individuals who are part of that cold out group to actually live in my neighborhood because I know my neighborhood will be better because there's a Christian there. There was a group of time when the early believers believed to their core of their being that Jesus was the hope of the world and their community was much better because of it. There was a time when people on the outside of the church would say, I don't know what our community would do without that church, without those called out ones. My line of work, in addition to pastoring, I do a lot of work with churches and and do consultations for churches. And one of the questions that I often ask of leaders in churches and churches abroad is this question. Would your community even notice if you ceased to exist? You hear how quiet it is in this auditorium right now? That's usually what I hear. In Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, a powerful passage. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with all those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They worshiped together at the temple each day. Let's read it one more time. They worshiped together in the temple each day. Well, maybe one more time. Are you getting the idea here? Each day they're worshiping together. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And get this. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. There was a day when the church, the called out ones, knew their why. That Jesus was the hope of the world. That there's nothing that discipleship to him could not resolve in their lives. And they lived it. And it impacted not only how they prayed. It not only impacted how they treated one another. It impacted how they treated people in their community who didn't even agree with their message. And fourth, it impacted their city as a whole. Their city was changed because of what they practiced, because of what they believed, understanding their why. Where the disciples were in Jerusalem, the population at that time was around 50,000 people. In two weeks, we read in the, in the book of Acts, in two weeks, we read that 5,000 people become followers of Jesus. In two weeks, friends, that's 10% of the community. 10% of the city. Now, I did a little research on Lemoore. Roughly the population of Lemoore is 26,000, maybe closer to 27,000, according to what they're projecting for uh, 2020. But let's say 27,000, the population of just Lemoore. Imagine 2,700 people coming to know Christ in two weeks. And I'm a guy, guy who still believes that God does miracles. And when a church can grasp their why, I believe an entire city can be turned on its heels and changed for the glory of God and for the cause of His kingdom. 
People outside started bringing people who needed hope and help and healing. They realized Jesus was the hope of the world because of a few, a ragtag group of people who knew their why. 120 to start with. But not everybody was happy. And the ones who were the most unhappy were other religious people. Partly because they were jealous and they didn't believe in Jesus, that he was the Messiah. And partly because Jesus made it too easy to become connected to God. You had to follow, according to them, a bunch of rules and regulations before you could connect to God. So they're not happy about this message. In Acts chapter 5, verses 17 through 42, the high priest and his officials, who were Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. Now we're talking about two groups here. Let me just define who they are. The Sadducees were a group of religious people who did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. So they were sad, you see. Easy way to remember it. So the high priest and his officials, who were Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. And they arrested the apostles. I want you to see a word shift that happens in the book of Acts. Often you'll see the word disciple or the word apostle that talks about the same group of people. A disciple was an, a, learner, a learner or an apprentice. An apostle is a messenger or a missionary. We are both. So they had them put in public jail. Verse 19 says, But an angel of the Lord came at night and opened the gates of the jail and brought them out. And then he told them, Go to the temple and give the people your why. Tell them your message of life. So at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple and they were told, as they were told and immediately began teaching. Sadducees, if you read on there, were like, wait, I thought these guys were in jail. And so, you know, verse 27, you jump down there. They brought the apostles before the high council where the priests confronted them. Now, this high council was a group called the Sanhedrin. They were a religious court of 71 men, including the high priest. Some were Sadducees and some were Pharisees. They believed in the resurrection from the dead. They were a religious court. They had power, but they were still subject to Roman authority. They were the ones who had Jesus crucified. And so they say in verse 28, We gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name, he said, and instead you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching about him and you want to make us responsible for his death. Why? Because they were. So bear with me, we're going to read here some. But Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit who is given by God to those who obey him. And when they heard this, the high council was furious and decided to kill them. But one member, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, who was an expert in religious law and respected by the people, stood up and he ordered that the men be sent outside the council chamber for a while. Then he said to his colleagues, Men of Israel, take care of what you're planning to do to these men. Some time ago, there was a fellow named Thedius who pretended to be someone great, and about 400 others joined him, but he was killed, and all of his followers went their various ways. The whole movement came to nothing. And after that, 
At the time of the census, there was Judas of Galilee. He got people to follow him, but he was killed too, and his followers were scattered. So my advice is leave these men alone. Let them go. If they're planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. So a little history here. We see the name Thedius. We don't know much about him in church history, but we do know Judas the Galilean. He was upset because there was a census, and what the Roman government would do is they would use these census times not only to calculate the number of people, but more often they would use it as a way to raise taxes. And so this Judas guy was upset because taxes were going to be raised, and so he took a group of people to the Boston Harbor where he tossed tea over into the harbor. I'm just saying if you're paying attention, that's not, that's not what happened. He led a revolt, and this group of people were called the Zealots. Now, I find this interesting, that within the 12 disciples, you have a tax collector named Matthew, and you have Simon the Zealot. Two men on polar opposite political and ideological sides working together for the same cause. Can you believe that there was a day and age where people had different political views and different ideological views, but they had one mission, and that was to share the why of Jesus, and they put those views aside so that they could come together and live for something more important? Can you believe that that actually happened? And this guy who stands up, Gamaliel, he was saying, look, the point is, if they become a threat, Rome will take care of them. But we know that even powerful Rome could not squash the called out ones. Rome, in fact, has the most number of crosses than any city in the world and is known as the worldwide launching point of Christianity. That's what happens when the called out ones know their why. Verse 40 says, the others accepted his advice. They called on the apostles and had them flogged. Now, flogging is not just any ordinary beating. This is what they did with Jesus. It required holding somebody over a stone and, or chaining them to a stone or a beam. And then they would take a whip with bone fragments and glass shards and just beat somebody to you know, near death, ripping flesh off of their their bones. They ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. And the apostles left the high council. <laughs> they left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace in the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach their why. Jesus is the Messiah. They left hurting and bleeding and disgraced. Why? Because they knew their why. There was no other name on heaven or under earth by which people would be saved but Jesus Christ. And they considered it a privilege to suffer for that name. I, do any of you have scars on your body somewhere? Some of you do? Okay. I do. I have a big one here on my elbow from something ridiculous that I did at a camp when I was eight years old and you know I, that's another story for maybe next week I don't know but I, then the, I have scars on my knees from at least three different surgeries because of playing football in high school and college and um, when I when I played sports especially football in high school and college um, 
You wanted to walk away from the game bruised. I mean, if you had bruising, it was like a badge of honor. And so you wanted to make sure that, you know, you got hurt a little bit and you got beat up a little bit because if you could walk around with some bruises, it meant you were in the game. You were a part of the action. Plus, the ladies kind of liked it too. So I would often be bruised down my arms because I was an offensive lineman and those defensive guys would just take me and pinch me and throw me all over the place like a rag doll. But I was in the game. You'd see guys who wouldn't be a part of the game over on the sideline. They'd say, hey, man, would you pinch me? Hey, hit me as hard as you can right now. And it'd even be better if you could walk and have a big red imprint on your, on your head and maybe a big knot on your forehead. This was before pro, uh, concussion, pro, concussion protocol because you wanted, you wanted people to know that you were in the game. It was a badge of honor. And these people who are the called out ones were going, look at these scars on my back. Look. Isn't this awesome? Look, I got this scar because I knew my why. Do you know we live in one of the safest places on earth and yet we are still fearful? Fearful that if we invite someone to watch an online streaming that they may not like us anymore. Fearful if we invite them to church that they may not follow us on social media anymore. Fearful if we do the right and loving thing, we may get hurt. And not the early called out ones. Their belief impacted how they prayed. It impacted their relationships with those who were already convinced, those who were on the outside. It impacted their city. And finally, those are the two words you love for a pastor to say. And finally. It means there's 20 more minutes left. It impacted their partnership with other churches. They so strongly believed and knew that Jesus was the hope of the world that they had to partner with other like-minded churches. As this movement grew, they knew that they would have to help each other, resource each other. And I believe this to the core of my being, friends. I believe that one of the reasons the church in the United States of America is suffering so much today is because we, as the called-out ones, see another group of called-out ones as our enemy rather than our partners in the gospel. We don't see the gates of hell as our enemy anymore. We see another church in town. Oh, I could go on there. Our competition, your competition, is not another Christ-centered, Bible-believing church. Our competition is the gates of hell. And Jesus said, when I build my called-out ones, the gates of hell will not prevail. We'll work together, and together what we will do is we'll charge the gates of hell. Paul talked about this in the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians 8, he says, Now I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, he's talking to the church at Corinth, I want you to know what God and His kindness has done to the churches in Macedonia. The churches in Macedonia had been planted by Paul on his second missionary journey. They consisted of the church of Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. And he says, They're being tested and have many troubles. and They're very poor, but they're also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. Hear what he's saying. They're having a severe budget crisis. 
For I can testify, though, that they gave. And they gave not only about out what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. So here's what was hurting. The mothership that had launched this early ship, that these, the, the, the Corinthian church, the mothership was in Jerusalem was hurting because of persecution. They were being dispersed. And the early church, the early beginnings of it, they were suffering back there. And Paul's going to all the churches that the mothership has started and says, Don't forget about the mothership. They're hurting. And he's talking about these three little churches. They did even more than what we hoped for, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us just as God wanted them to. So we urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish your ministry of giving. And since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love for us, I want you to excel in this gracious act of giving. I'm not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. You know Know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Now here I'm going to keep on going. Here's my advice, he says in verse 10. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year you were the first who wanted to give and you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you've started. Let your eagerness you have shown in the beginning match by, be matched by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is exempt is acceptable if you give it eagerly and give according to what you have not what you don't have of course I don't mean your giving should be made uh, make life easy for others and hard for yourselves I only mean that there should be some equality right now you have plenty and can help those who are in need later they will have plenty and can share with you when you have need in this way things will be equal as the scripture says those who gathered a lot had nothing left over and those who gathered only a little had enough so the mothership was hurting one of the tendencies of churches, and I want South Valley to guard against this. One of the tendencies is to isolate ourselves and build a kingdom unto ourselves. That is not building the kingdom of God. One of the tendencies when a church is going through a difficult time is to say, well, what we need to start doing is stop giving so much out and keep it for ourselves. And when you do that, oh, I believe that you, in some ways, keep God from blessing you. I pastored a church in Clovis for 16 years. Before I came to the church, the church had, had split. From one, in one week, the church went from 400 in average attendance to 40. And two years later, they were still struggling for survival. So much so that the, the members of the church posted the bills, the PG&E bill, all that stuff, out on a bulletin board and asked for people to adopt a bill. That's not good practice, by the way. So the leaders of the church got together and said, you know, we've been giving 10% of our income for years to outside missions efforts. And it's time that we stop doing that. They brought it before the church at a business meeting. And one of the old time members by the name of Doris stood up. I was told this story. And she reprimanded the leaders of the church. And she said, I cannot believe that you're even considering this. 
considering how faithful God has been through us. And she threw out another proposal. She said, I want to challenge our church that rather than reducing what we give to outside missions, let's increase it from 10 to 15%. And it passed. In the 16 years that I was there, we never failed to meet our budget and had excess. We were second in growing healthy churches, in missions giving, only behind that we could not seem to surpass South Valley Church of Lemoore. <laughs> the church that I currently pastor in Modesto will be 12 years old this fall. I've been there three years when their founding pastor had left and went down south to pastor another church that church would not be having our church would not be having the impact that we're having in Modesto and it's pretty powerful if it had not been for the generosity of this church in a 10 year period your church helped to plant 83 different congregations Now's not the time to turn inward. Be the called out ones. Oh, we attend an assembly here at our building, but our church is not here, it's out there. It's where we go. So I'll leave you with these challenges. First, choose to say something when saying nothing would be easy for you to do. What do you mean, Tim? I mean, in your conversations, maybe you could just drip an invitation. Maybe you could talk about the goodness of God and what He's doing for you. Easter's coming up, and I know this team that you have here this is going to plan little things that you can do to encourage people to either join online or maybe in person here. Maybe you have a coworker or a family member or a friend who needs some encouragement. Just be the salt of the world, Jesus said. Add savor. Secondly, seize opportunities. When you see somebody hurting, do something about it. When you see somebody in need, ask, what can I do? When you see somebody that needs prayer, pray. Thirdly, be kind. Oh my goodness, friends, could we just return kindness to our world today? I don't know what it is, but I mean, just be kind. I tell people at the well all the time, one of the ways that you can be kind is just at the grocery store by returning your cart to the cart carol. Just step up and do that. And if you want to go an extra mile, take it to the person who's cleaning the carts. Get a little exercise. Lord knows I need it. And then fourth... Be supportive of your church and your leaders. Pray for them. Be united. Because here's what I believe. That Jesus is the hope of the world. And I believe that the best days of SVCC were not somewhere in the past. They are yet to come. 
So would you stand with me for closing prayer, please? God, I pray for your richest blessings upon this wonderful congregation and allow them to know and to see the good that they have done and are doing throughout this community and utterly around the world. I pray that you would bless each individual here. People came today with various different needs and various things that they needed a hand of God in in their life. Would you make yourself known to them in a very powerful way? And as we leave from this place today, let us leave with the knowledge that Jesus is the hope of the world and there is nothing in all the world that discipleship to him cannot resolve and that you have not primarily called us to come to church you've called us to leave we are the called out ones let us go and leave with that message and we all agree in Jesus name by saying amen God bless you have a great day South Valley see you next week okay